hope. What is it? And what does it feel like? When things seem really hopeful, it creates a positive and uplifting feeling within us. When things are not hopeful at all, it's easy to be discouraged and deflated about the future. When it comes to the world scene, with the COVID crisis and our national political realm, it's hard to be very optimistic. And we wonder to ourselves, will things ever get better? Perhaps it's in your personal life, where things aren't all that great with a spouse, a child, a parent, a sibling, or a close friend. And it just seems like things will never change. You see, whether it's the world pandemic, science, conspiracy theories, the political domain, or in the world of our personal lives, when there is no faith in the future, there's little vital life energy in the present. Haven't you ever been so discouraged at times that you were tired of the future even before it arrived? And haven't you been exhausted just trying to keep up with everything that's going on? It is said that when the great reformer Martin Luther was asked what he would do if the world were ending tomorrow, he replied that he would plant a tree. I'd like to draw on the Hebrew scriptures and the prophet Jeremiah and his decision to buy a plot of land, for it illustrates steadfast faith in the future. When we read Jeremiah 32, we find that Jeremiah is shut up in prison because he predicts the Babylonians will overcome Jerusalem, and, the, and so the king considers him a traitor. Eventually, everyone knows it's only a matter of time before the city will fall, and in the most detailed business transaction recorded in the Bible, Jeremiah buys a piece of land and has the deed duly witnessed and filed for posterity. What Jeremiah was doing was not simply a family matter, nor was Jeremiah speculating on land or picking up property at a bargain basement price. He acted as publicly as possible from within his prison cell, affirming to all that the future still matters, despite the terrible threat facing the people, and it really is worth fighting for. What Jeremiah symbolizes in a very practical manner is God's promise of a real and hopeful future. The Russian expatriate poet Joseph Brodsky raises the question this way. What lies ahead? Does a new epic wait for us? And if it does, what duty do we owe? What sacrifices must we make for it? As we look ahead, how do we see the future? And more importantly, what will we do as it is coming? When it comes to the future, there are three basic ways to deal with it. One, we can fight to resist it. Two, we can go along with it passively and uncritically. Or three, we can work and fight for it. Jesus, our Lord, told stories so that we might consider how we can faithfully live into the future. Our story this morning, which Michael read for us, is about how a rich person and a poor person traded fortunes after death. 
and how the rich person wanted to come back from the grave to warn the living. Now, I don't think Jesus intended to tell us anything about the afterlife. And we need not make assumptions about heaven and hell or a chasm between them based on the story. It is interesting that the story includes the name of the poor person, Lazarus. But not the name of the rich person. In the Bible, naming is a key way of emphasizing the authority or position of the person in the story. Could it be then that in not naming the rich man, Jesus is indicating that in God's eyes, wealth is not equivalent to higher status or value. It also suggests that poverty does not diminish the worth of any person. The story ends with a comment that even one coming back from the dead would have little impact on the choices of the living. Even with Jesus' resurrection from the dead, he knew it was the merit of his teachings on earth that would touch the quality of our living if only we would follow his ways. The main point of the story is that God sees the injustices that happen on earth and that ultimately the balance will be restored. And Jesus wants us to fight for that kind of future. I don't think I need to remind you about the gap between the rich and the poor in the United States and how it seems to be getting greater and greater as well as how the United States compares to most nations in the world. The psychiatrist, Dr. Carl Menninger, said to one of his wealthy patients, What on earth are you going to do with all your money? The patient replied, Just worry about it, I suppose. The doctor went on, Well, do you get that much pleasure out of worrying about it? No, responded the patient, But I get such terror when I think of giving some of it to somebody. Or listen to the situation of another person of similar means. This particular wealthy man was also deeply religious. And he prayed always for the poor of the world. And his son remarked, Dad, I wish I had your money. Why, the father asked. Because, his son replied, then I would answer your prayers. Do we and how will we answer our prayers when it comes to the real needs of others of God's children? Dom Helder Camera, a Catholic priest who walked the talk of truly living for others, once observed, I used to think when I was a child that Christ might have been exaggerating when he warned about the dangers of wealth. Today, I know how very hard it is to be rich and still keep the milk of human kindness. Money has a dangerous way of putting scales on one's eyes, a dangerous way of freezing people's hands, eyes, lips, and hearts. The more I reflect on these things and the more I allow myself to be changed by the teachings of Jesus, the more convinced I am becoming that each and every one of us listening today has scales on our eyes when it comes to how we see money. Here are a few verses from 1 Timothy 6. 
There is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life. And then he goes on. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Fight the good fight. Did you hear it in the text? Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, storing up a good foundation for the future. Friends, that's fighting for the future. Fighting for the future is never simply fighting for your future, which is a big mistake many people make. No, no, it is fighting for the future of others. Because in the Bible, our history is tied to the history of the world. And we are all wrapped up in this crazy, unfair, difficult, wonderful world together. Fighting for the future calls us to precisely fight beyond our own narrow, self-interested perspectives for the needs of others of God's children who are just as precious as we are. Here's how Flannery O'Connor put it. I wouldn't go to battle for anything I could say, but there is much that I can't say that I would go to battle for. The intangibles of faith, the promise of a hopeful future, are as real as anything, and they are worth fighting for. In our struggle, once again, Paul, here in 1 Timothy, talks about money and wealth. And we've all heard the old saying that money is the root of all evil. No, says Paul in verse 10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he goes on to say, in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith. And then he encourages us all to, to pursue righteousness, godliness, love, endurance, and gentleness. As for those who are rich, they are to do good and be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. You see, some of us are wealthier than others, and that's the way of the world, and it's not going to change. Regardless of how wealthy we are, our money and wealth are to be used responsibly. God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, says Paul. Be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. The way to share much is to share something each day. The medical missionary Albert Schweitzer encourages us this way. Open your eyes and look for some person or some work 
for the sake of humanity, which needs a little time, a little friendliness, a little sympathy, a little toil. See if there is not some place where you may invest yourself. So, how will we invest ourselves in fighting for the future? Is it not through helping to build the future of others, through sharing our gifts? Our future is tied to giving, for that is real life. Do good. Be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. Jeremiah bought a piece of property from his prison as people were about to go under foreign rule and occupation. Because even in the most discouraging of times, as one called by God, he was willing to fight for the future to show that someday, someday, he would, they would be able to purchase and own their own land, which eventually they did. And Jesus told a story encouraging those who are well off to share and not to hoard. And Paul encourages us to fight the good fight of faith, not falling prey to the love of money, but to be generous and share, storing up a good foundation for the future, thus taking hold of the life that is really life. We live in the future others prepared. That's true in our families. It's true in our church. It's true where we live, and it's true in our world. As we fight and work for the future, it is for the future of others, not simply our own. William James, the American philosopher and psychologist, said over 100 years ago, the aim of life, the aim of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. Fighting for the future. In closing, a poem by William Arthur Ward. The adventure of life is to learn. The purpose of life is to grow. The nature of life is to change. The challenge of life is to overcome. The essence of life is to care. The opportunity of life is to serve. And the secret of life is to dare. The spice of life is to befriend. And the beauty of life is to give. And the joy of life is to love. May that kind of life be so, as we are God's faithful people fighting for the future. Amen. We had that one glitch, but I think Lauren can probably...